When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey, all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age, about the lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup, and I am here with my lovely other host. Lovely. Well, we are married. Well, I'm Sheikup or Shelby, and I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah, that's great. Um, so last week we did a great episode with our guest, uh, Alison Droste, and it was a great time. If you missed that episode, definitely go back and listen to it because there was a lot of great conversation about spirits and lots of fun stuff going on in there and so we're continuing that conversation today so last week we talked about compassion justice valor and love so what spirits are we talking about today well today we're talking about three more spirits we're talking about faith hope and wisdom so these are kind of like big name spirits i feel like so at the end at the end i'm gonna pull in a few more that we are not going to talk about in this season just to mention them. Um, but yeah, I feel like these are like the big ones, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. These are the ones that we definitely, as you probably said, are mentioned the most to us. I mean, obviously we have direct interactions with compassion and justice in a big way through companions, Mm -hmm. but I feel like these are the ones I think that have the most in there. Yeah, and I also I also think we see and interact with spirits of faith and hope uh, and wisdom. I think all three in the games as well. So that's pretty significant. Um, maybe not as companions necessarily like Justice is, but we still interact with them like as NPCs. So that's really significant. Well, you could argue we have a spirit of faith for companion too as when you mean yeah 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 we'll get into it so let's just let's just jump in um and we'll talk about faith first since you mentioned it so spirits of faith are very powerful typically very benevolent spirits to start us off talking about the spirit of faith i brought a fun little quote from the world of thetis encyclopedia volume one you can find this on page 168 this is what it says spirits of faith are very strong and quite rare little is known about them 
Some mages even say that the great mage healer Wynne was once saved from death in the circle tower at Kinloch Hold by a spirit of faith, which bonded to her, sustaining her life. So we know that this is what happened, that she she was sustained by a spirit of faith. Now, the world of Thetis encyclopedias are very much written as if they were part of the Thetis universe. So that's why it's kind of written in that like, oh, well, that's what they say, because it's written from an in-game perspective. So we know that, yeah, it was a spirit of faith that that sustained Wynn. And we talked about this two weeks ago in our character deep dive on Wynn. Um, maybe it was a little bit more than two weeks ago, but whatever. So we do know that she was possessed by a spirit of faith that kept her alive for nine years and that she then eventually transferred this same spirit over to Evangeline, who is Wynn's son's lover, in order to keep Evangeline alive. So this means that Wynn dies in the book that this all happens in, but it also means that this spirit of faith is potentially still alive and still around in Thetis. It's interesting, especially then like, okay, the spirit first comes to a mage and now is in a Templar, like very interesting. And like, it would be interesting to meet Evangeline post Asunder to see if she starts exhibiting seeker powers. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair point. She is like my favorite person from Asunder. I loved her. She also does remind me a little bit of Cassandra in a different way, though. But I think what's interesting to me is like Solus basically, to me, Solus presents spirits as like they're more short lived than than people like they're not they don't have as longer lives all of this kind of stuff and yet this spirit kept when alive for almost a decade and now is is still sustaining in someone in another person um and i just feel like that's a really long life for a spirit yeah i think with solace i'd have to go back and i'm about to start a new inquisition playthrough and really get into it so I'd have to go back and talk to him a little bit. But I wonder if that's in like a context is like Solus very much views spirits as a single driven purpose type of being like and that's how he acts with Cole in that he's like, oh, we can't let Cole take vengeance because that would corrupt the spirit of compassion. And it's very single minded in the view of spirits in that way and so perhaps spirits seem short-lived to soulless because they fade and disappear when their purpose is no longer needed yeah i see that i definitely see that so are we ready to get back to spirit of faith yeah so unlike other spirits that we've met in the origins kind of timeline Especially specifically when we see Justice possessing Anders and Kristoff, the spirit of faith never communicates intelligibly with Wynne the way that Justice does. So that already is something notable that's different from this for this one. And then I'll also add, this is something that has been said multiple times by Bioware writers and even in the games, like there's a Solus quote that floats around but spirits of faith tend to be corrupted into demons of pride. And I will say, I will say, I know a lot of people in life 
who have a lot of faith in God, who are really religious and are very prideful in their beliefs and who very much exhibit that kind of flow from overtly faithful to being so faithful that you're prideful in what you believe. So I think this is realistic. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we even have a kind of similar conversation with Cassandra about this when she herself doubts whether or not forming the Inquisition was the right path or not. And Mm -hmm. she basically says, like, was I so arrogant? Was I so prideful to think that I was going to be the one with these answers? Yeah. And I mean, I think personally, like in my opinion, to have that ability to reflect and to be pensive almost in questioning your own motivations shows that you're not prideful. It shows that you've, you've not yet reached that conclusion. Whereas a person who really is prideful in this would not even question it. Um, that's just my personal opinion. And we're getting a little off topic. So let's go and talk about the seekers since you brought up Cass. So in 941 dragon, after investigating the disappearance of the seekers of truth, Cassandra Pentagast obtains the Book of Secrets from Lord Seeker Lucius Corin and learns that all Seekers, including herself, are secretly made tranquil during the final stages of their training as Seekers. A spirit of faith is then lured toward their minds to restore their capacity for emotion and, as a side effect, to grant them their unique abilities. Additionally, the rite of tranquility that the seekers use to create seekers predates, predates the Templars using tranquility on mages. So I think this is important to talk about um, in terms of, in terms of the spirit of faith, because this is where I would, I would say this is where the most spirits of faith interact with the people of Thetis in the process of creating new seekers. Yeah, I definitely think that. And it's curious to me because, so when we talked about magic, we talked about blood magic and how blood magic is a type of magic that basically uses blood or a sacrifice in place of lyrium to be able to cast the spells. So like, you know, when you become a blood mage, you don't use mana, you use blood, blood, you use your health Mm -hmm. um, to cast spells. So it's interesting to me, because when this gets out, as I don't know if this ever gets out as common knowledge, I guess it depends on what the Inquisitor would do with it. But if I was a mage, I would be accusing the Seekers of using blood magic, not just blood magic, but like making deals with spirits. I mean, I don't really think this is blood magic. Um, I wouldn't say it is either. It's it's a gray line. Absolutely. I think it is really messed up for Templars and Seekers to be so obsessed with regulating the magic that mages use when they then use this as well. But my argument would go back to the fact that seekers have been doing this longer than Templars have even been controlling mages longer than Templars have been making mages tranquil. And so if anybody has a right to, to the right, it would be the seekers, frankly. 
Oh, no, I totally agree with that. But it's just another point of like, you know, we were talking in the Discord the other day about how you could make the argument because Templars fuel their abilities with lyrium that they are breaking the Androstian tenet of magic is meant to serve man and not rule over him. Right. Because we know through the system that Templars use their abilities to control and rule over mages and even to some degree the towns in which they're placed. So I guess this is another thing of like, you talk about how, you know, the Seekers and Templars are kind of anti-mages, but if we go with like the basic definition, they're using magic as well. Mm. Like just because you don't have a direct connection to the Fade, Lyrium is a Fade. It's not a Fade. You could say it's a Fade being because because of Bianca, we know it's alive or something, but it does have a connection to the Fade. So you could in terms draw the argument that seekers or templars are drawing on the fate and so are seekers because they're a faith spirit grants them their ability yeah i definitely see that well do you have anything else you want to talk about with spirits of faith or seekers or any of that before we move on to the next spirit uh no i don't really have anything that's all about faith we're going to talk about hope next and this one is interesting um we may have some back and forth going on here so i have two things i want to talk about before our my question that i have for you so first i brought a quote again from the world of thetis encyclopedia volume one same pages earlier so this says spirits of hope are some of the strongest benevolent spirits in the fade however they don't often appear in the waking world because there is very little there that attracts them. That makes me sad. Because the world is so depressing. And hopeless. Like, yeah. that makes me sad that you have, I mean, it's very easy to become hopeless in the world. And we can understand that. I mean, even just looking at Thetis and even just experiencing our world. Mm-hmm. But that makes me sad. Like, I agree. So, Okay. This is a little bit of a headcanon, but I think it's important to bring up. Officially, Cole is a spirit of compassion, but during the Here Lies the Abyss questline, we learn that Cole's biggest fear is despair. Knowing that despair demons come from spirits of hope, is it possible that Cole is actually a spirit of hope instead of a spirit of compassion? This is really getting into like... (laughs) splitting hairs for me because when we really think about it when we get down to the nitty-gritty hope and compassion are so interlocked between each other that it's hard I think it's hard to separate the two like you need to have compassion to be able to give someone hope like I would say that in a lot of ways sometimes to be compassionate you need to have hope like hope that when you're being compassionate to someone who is frustrating you or doing something that you think is hurtful you need to have a sense of hope that they can be better to instill compassion in them now that's not a like 100 hard fast rule but they're very interlinked to each other and i think i interpret cole's greatest fear as this he takes on so much 
of other people's trouble and compassion and their struggles and their despair that he is so afraid of that despair overwhelming him. I mean, can you imagine walking around and being able to sense and anticipate the hurt of everyone around you? No, I don't even want to imagine it because like you said, like when we were talking about spirits of hope, don't come to the world because it's so hopeless there's a reason that it's hopeless because people have experienced so much grief and hurt and trauma and loss in their lives. And even in our world, people have experienced so much grief and trauma and loss in their lives. And even like little things that we think, Oh, you'll just, you'll be over that. Like the loss of a pet or, you know, losing a job. Like some of these things may not seem like, world shattering, devastating events, but they are still events that cause loss and grief in your life. And to be able to feel all of that would be massively overwhelming. I think if I was Cole, I would have to just go live like a hermit in the woods somewhere. I don't think I'd be able to handle it. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it would be a lot to take compare. So I think that I always interpret it through the lens that to be a spirit of compassion is to engage in so much despair. So Cole fears it because he fears it overwhelming him. Mm. I definitely get that. I just thought it was an interesting and important question to lift up. So officially, officially, speaking of Here Lies the Abyss, when we see quote unquote divine Justinia the fifth, She is actually a spirit. It's not actually divine, Justinia. It is a spirit of hope, supposedly. So do we think it's possible that this spirit is some other kind of spirit? Or do you think that this spirit is a spirit of hope? I just thought we could kind of discuss all of that. I think it's two. There are, I think there's only two options. And I think that it has to be a spirit of hope or a spirit of faith solely because of how powerful the spirit is. And like when we talk about Justinia, because there is a connection between the spirit and Justinia, like there's a reason that spirit takes her form. But when we think about Justinia, I think the things that she embodies the most are probably hope and faith has hope and faith that there can be a peace, peaceful solution to this mage and Templar conflict. And we can talk about how she doesn't react fast enough. We can talk about how she doesn't make changes fast enough, but she truly believes and has faith and hope in the system that she's in that it can work. And to have that as a leader of a religious organization like that is no small task. And so there is a lot of hope and faith in there. And so I think the spirit has to be one of those. And we're told there are some of the strongest spirits in the faith, especially we're told in here that spirits of hope are some of the most strongest. And the nightmare outside of probably the forbidden ones is one of the strongest demons we've ever encountered in the the games, in the fade, in the games ever. Mm -hmm. And so she basically weakens it so that we can fight it to get out. I agree. I definitely agree. I I think that she is a spirit of hope. And 
hope and faith are are very intertwined to me but i think that it would be easy to see her as a spirit of faith because she's the leader of a religious organization like she's supposed to have faith like that's what she does you know but i i really think she embodies hope in the way that she leads in thetis before her death because it's to me if she was just a leader that was faithful like she would have just been focused on leading the church, right? Like leading the chantry alone, but she's concerned with more than that. She's concerned with Thetis as a whole. She's concerned with the mage Templar conflict. She's concerned with the plight of all of these groups. And like you said, we can talk about, okay, well, she didn't do it in time. Like she didn't, whatever. But sometimes these things take time. And we know from Liliana's work with her that she, she was concerned about all of these um, situations of oppression long before, you know, we really knew about them as players of the game. So I think based on her actions to help other people and kind of create a better world for Thetis, I, I think that she's a spirit of hope in, in Inquisition. Yeah, I think about that as well. But I also think we can use what she says to tell to Liliana, which is that I failed you too. Like so much of Liliana's quest after Here Lies the Abyss is about whether or not she can rekindle the hope she once had or throw it aside, whether you harden or soften her. Um, I just realized this when I was thinking about it. Um, you know, we view hardening Liliana as a bad thing, but hardening Alistair as a good thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth. I think that they both need different things. Like Alistair needs to grow up and move out of his naivete, like to be, realize what the world actually is. And I feel like in Inquisition, Liliana needs to be reminded that the world doesn't have to be as it is. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else you want to add about Spirits of Hope before we move to our mid-break? Not a lot, just I hope that Bioware expands upon this lore a little more as we explore whether or not it's in the game, if it's in Codex, if it's in other media. I just want to know more. Me too, me too. I agree. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Enchantment? Enchantment! You need me. Ugh. I am yours as always. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about everything that has to do with the podcast, but not the lore of Dragon Age. And so it's this time that I want to thank our patrons. We greatly appreciate all our patrons who support us. We couldn't do this without you, and we greatly appreciate your support and for making it possible for us to talk about Dragon Age and hang out with all of you and have a bunch of friends to nerd out with. And so with that, I'm going to read the names of our first patrons who get the honor of being read every show. And that is Lisa M, Genesis, Derek B, and Zuba. Yeah, thank you so much. And you too can join us on Patreon. 
by following the link in the episode description. There are various tiers on there. If you sign up for our first Enchanter tier, which I believe is $20 a month, you can join us on our patron episode each month um, where we talk about various topics. If you are a patron, regardless of tiers, you can vote on that topic in the Patreon. So if you want to decide what the patrons talk about, become a patron and support us that way. Yeah. And so next we do have a hero, I think. Yes, a hero to share with us. So Shelby's going to read us our hero that we have to share. Okay, so this is from Capricorn Tower, aka Nicholas B, who is in our Discord and is one of our patrons. So this is his canon hero of Ferelden. Riley Coosland was raised to believe that his brother Fergus would inherit his family's land and title. For Riley, that left him with joining the Chantry, becoming a knight, and overseeing his family's soldiers, or marrying for political advantage. He had dreams, though, of sailing the seas as a privateer. Riley trained under his father's knights to become a peerless duelist, learned archery from his mom, and even learned lockpicking and sleight of hand from the roguish types that anchored at port in Hyever. Of course, when Arl Rendon Howe seized his family's estate and killed his parents, Riley's path was narrowed down to one. Become a Grey Warden under Duncan's tutelage and survive to see justice done. But when Taryn Loghain betrayed King Kaelin and the Wardens at Ostagar, Riley was left with fellow ensign Alistair to rally a defense against the Blight and seek out revenge on his own. Riley then recruited all available party members, becoming particularly close to Sten, Shale, and Wynne by restoring Sten's honor, helping Shale discover her lost past, and helping Wynne let go of regret. He was also a bit of a player, carrying on a casual physical relationship with both Zevran and Morrigan at one point, but eventually he caught feelings for Morrigan and committed to her, going so far as to kill Flemeth to make sure Morrigan could evade possession from her abusive mother. On his journey, Riley found Connor to be an innocent victim of his mother's poor decisions, and so agreed to have Isolde sacrifice herself in a blood ritual to save Connor from demonic possession. At the Circle Tower, he aided Wynne, but after confronting Uldred, feared the remaining mages may be corrupted, and therefore turned them over to the Templars for further investigation at Aonar. In the Brazilian forest, he confronted Zathrian regarding his hypocrisy, ending the werewolf curse and brokering peace. And then in Orzammar, he sided with Lord Harrowmont, believing Balin to be too similar to Hal and Loghain. To this end, he destroyed the Anvil of the Void and earned Caradon's favor. Finally, Riley saved Arl Eamon using a pinch of Andraste's sacred ashes. At Belen's meet in Denerim, he worked with Honora and the rest of the gathered nobles to end Loghain's tyranny. As a part of the deal, he agreed to become Honora's prince consort and commander of her armies against the Blight. Alistair was allowed to execute Loghain, and on the eve of the final battle, Riley and Morrigan knew that life was pulling them apart. And so he agreed to her request, performing the dark ritual to save his life. When he slew the archdemon, indeed, he emerged on the other side miraculously. Yeah, thank you so much for your hero. Yeah, it was great to hear about Riley and all the things that he accomplished. 
Thank you so much. You too can share your heroes, Hawks and Heralds with us via the Discord, via Twitter. You can email them to us, do whatever you need to do. Uh, another great way to support us is to leave us a rating or review on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us a review with words, we will read it out on a future episode of the show, a five-star review. Uh, there are no reviews that we have to read today, but if you want to do that and support us, it's great. I also want to tell you about our Discord server, the Pups, or the Pups, the Cups Podcasting and more Discord server where you can come and hang out with us and share your pups with us. We love pictures of dogs on the Discord server, but you can also talk about all our podcasts, the Assassin's Creed lore cast, the Dragon Age lore cast, the Holocron Histories podcast, and our new podcast coming up, the Inheritance Cycle page by page. You can find all our podcasting information there. You can also hang out with us on the Robots Radio Discord, where you can find even more video game podcasts in the Robots Radio Network, and it's just a great place to hang out. Both Discord links are in the episode description. And so our last thing today is we have a couple of Ask Me Anythings of AMAs that our patrons at Tier 2 can submit to us, and we will answer on the show. So let's go ahead and answer those. So the first one is, if you could pick three non-companion characters from the first three Dragon Age games to be companions in the Dragon Age Dreadwolf, who would you choose? You can go first. Um, I just realized that it was it it was non-companion characters, so that makes me rethink my answer a little bit. Um, yeah. I, it's hard. It's a hard question. It's a really hard question, but I really think my answers are going to be Fainreal from Dragon Age 2, Mavaris from Dragon Age Inquisition and the books, and maybe the architect, because he's still hanging out, you know? The architect as a companion? I just think it would be fun. <laughs> a companion? A dark just, spawn as I a just, companion? I just think gonna, it would be You're just going to walk around Thetis with a dark spawn. No, not just a dark spawn. A Taventer Magister. Like the literal devil, according to the Chantry. I just think it would be fun. <laughs> Actually, I changed my mind. I changed to a griffin. That would be cool. All right. So we only had one crossover. Okay. I definitely want Fane Real. I, I hope that he is a mage companion in DA Dreadwolf. I also want Reese mm. to come back. I think Reese would be a great one. Um, I don't, as much as I love them, I feel like, well, she could be divine, but I feel like Cassandra and Cullen have earned their retirement as Templar slash Seeker companions. So Same I for want Liliana. Them... I don't want, I don't, yeah, I agree. I don't want them to be companions again. I want them to have ha be happy and live and just be happy. That's all I want from them. So I would love Evangeline to come back as a Templar companion. Also, I think it would be fun to have, um, the Grey Warden from Last Fight that finds the Griffin eggs. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, I guess that 
we we just picked book companions and they said three games so i gotta think about game companions yeah oh i would want if he is still alive barris sir barris would also be another one yes he was another one that was on that list i love him Technically, Reese and Evangeline are both in Inquisition, so they count as game characters. Yeah, they're in the war table. All right. If you could replay for the first time one of the Dragon Age games, or no, if you could replay for the first time, which side quest would you want to play again for the first time? That's tough, because most of my favorite quests are actually main quests. Which is weird, because normally in a video game, like, yes, side quests are the best. Mm-hmm. Main quest. But honestly, if I could play for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I think I would go with the taking of the Empress. I think that that's, one, doing the Emerald Glaze or not the Emerald Graves, the Exalted Plains, taking them is a pain in the butt. Having mm-hmm. to do all the fire pits with the zombies and all of that stuff. But, like, the way you get, you're, like, working through the Empires, it, like, feels like you're working in, like, a military campaign to retake land, because you're moving from camp to camp, and each area presents a different challenges until you get to the keep and you have to take down the keep. And I just feel it get once I finally got to the keep and you fight M shale and you do all of this stuff, like it's a huge accomplishment. Like I was like, yeah, like go inquisition. Well, you kind of stole my answer. Um, <laughs> so I guess the other one that I thought about when I first read this is super random. And I didn't even do this quest on my first playthrough, but when you go to the hissing wastes, which usually I only go to the hissing wastes to get companion dialogue to, to spawn. But anyway, um, there's a quest with all of the tombs and it's, it's, I think the quest name is the tomb of Phyrell and it, literally single-handedly rewrites dwarven history in in thetis because you learn that a dwarven paragon went and and went to the surface and and created a whole outpost and life on the surface um and it's really interesting and super lore heavy and i just was you know shocked by wow this is totally different to all of dwarven lore so that's one that i thought of yeah that's definitely a good one all right well i think that's all for the mid-break those are all for the ask me anything again if you are a patron tier two or higher you can go on the discord and submit these to us once a month once a month you can submit one a month and that's all we got so let's get back to it well that was uh, orlesian dareth shiran you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So we've got one more type of spirit to talk about. And this one's an interesting one because it's super tied to Solus. And this is the spirit of wisdom. So in Solus's side quest, all new faded for her, Solus asks the Inquisitor to help in rescuing one of his friends, and this friend turns out to be a spirit of wisdom. 
Essentially, a group of mages have summoned his friend, the spirit of wisdom, against its will. Solus claims all the spirit wants is to return to the Fade, which is its home. Unfortunately, when the Inquisitor and Solus arrive, the group of mages has already bound the spirit, which turns it into the pride demon. Solus argues that it can be turned back into a spirit, and through the quest, this is achieved momentarily. Shortly after being turned back into a spirit, the spirit of wisdom dies. At the end of the quest, Solus can either kill the mages who've done this, or like you can encourage him to stop. But either way, he's extremely distraught. The spirit dies and it's it's kind of sad. But I lift this up because this quest is unique in multiple ways. Number one, I think this is the first time we've seen a spirit turned into a demon and then turned back into a spirit. We see spirits being turned into demons all the time, but being back turned back into a spirit, that's the first time we've seen that. And second, it's a confirmation, like a hard confirmation that spirits of wisdom turn into demons of pride. What are your thoughts about wisdom spirits? Well, I think it's really interesting for this quest that we see this because we often talk about a related topic, but not quite, but like, can an abomination become the mage again? And you can ask when this in DAO, and she's basically like, technically it is possible. And we get this with Connor, who's not quite fully an abomination, but is on his way to becoming one. And you kill the spirit in the Fade, and you release the body of the mage. But when says that rarely has she seen like a full abomination that work and bring the mage back to who they are. And so... It's interesting to me because we basically have to like kill the like pillars that bind it and that allows the spirit to become what it once was and then fade on into whatever, wherever spirits go when they cease to exist. But it's interesting to me that what wisdom corrupts into isn't based on what the people who bound them are experiencing because I wouldn't even say that the mages they're not their main emotion their experience is not pride it's fear they're afraid of the bandits mm -hmm. they're afraid of everything what they summon this spirit in a last ditch effort to like give power to them to be able to protect themselves and it forces I violence and corrupts it I agree with that but they're also arrogant and prideful enough to bind a spirit and then lie about it to the inquisition and basically fade splain to solace yeah exactly which is i think super prideful and granted no they don't know who solace is but they do know that you're with the inquisition yeah they do but other than that, i don't have a lot to say other than i love this quest solely because the name is an anagram for ben harrell the dread wolf yeah you can so before we go into our side character, I just want to mention a few possible spirits that we don't talk about because there's not a lot of information. It's super obscure, whatever. So potential maybe to see some of these in new Dragon Age media, whether it's Absolution or the new game or even new books and comics. So spirit of duty, a spirit of honor, spirit of courage. Personally, I think this is very similar to Valor, so I'm, I'm not sure if they would do that, but... Um, 
maybe others, spirit of perseverance also. And then of course we have wisps that could uh, be expanded upon. So those are some others. We will have one more episode on spirits before we kind of wrap this season up, but I just wanted to mention those in this episode. I find it really interesting with wisps because I was playing through Inquisition. I was like, well, what are they? Like, cause we don't really have a link to them. But I think it's really interesting that depending on what kind of demon the wisp are around, they change their damage type and color. So like if oh. the wisps come around a despair demon, they turn blue and start doing cold damage. If they're in a rage demon, they start turning um, red and doing fire damage. I haven't seen them turn like purple around a pride demon. So my question is what happens if they're around multiple types of demons? I think it's what's ever closest. But yeah, I did definitely think that's interesting. And it's almost like because they're humanoid, it's like, oh, they're spirits of the dead. But that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. Spirits can be whatever they want. Yes. So are you ready to get into our side character? I am. So our side character today is Talana. Do you remember this character off the top of your head? I actually do. I oh, remember this character okay. and know this character. Perfect. So if you don't, um, Talana is a character, we don't really meet her, but we hear about her in the Frostbite Basin DLC of Inquisition, which is the Jaws of Hacken DLC with Inquisitor Emeridan and, and the Avar and all that. So we first start learning about Talana when you go to the island in the Frostback Basin and there's that kind of old rusted broken down house that has the spirit inside of it and the spirit has, has a little bit latched onto the consciousness of Talana. Um, and so we learn a little bit about her through that and then throughout the subsequent quests until we get to meet Inquisitor Emeridan. So just to sum it up, Talana was an elven mage. She lived in the ancient age. She was a member of the first inquisition. She was a dreamer mage, which is what Fainreal is, which basically means they have much more freedom in the fade. They can manipulate the fade at will. They can go to the fade at will, etc. They're very powerful. And she is also the lover of Inquisitor Emeridan. So we learn in the search to find more about Inquisitor Emeridan. We find out more about several of his companions, including Talana, and there are three of them. So their names are Heron, Orina, and Talana. So Heron is a male Templar knight. Orina is a female dwarven warrior. Emeridan is the first Inquisitor, of course, who is a Dalish elven mage. And Talana is Emeridan's lover, an elven mage and dreamer. So all of them. Good job. Good job. So Talana works alongside Emeridan in the Frostback Basin as they attempted to take down Hacken and the Hackenites. I brought a quote from a codex and this is kind of long, but it's, it's all interesting. Um, and it's from pages near an old campfire codex. It says, Heron and Orina drew the Avar away, but when Talana and I breached the Tevinter Frost Ward and entered the forest, we found, to our chagrin, that this is their main base. 
Their mastery of ice magic allowed them to slip through the ward without melting it. Instead of luring the dragon into a trap of our own making, we have had a brutal fight in the home of our foes. The dragon's power is none I have ever seen. Possessed by this Avar god spirit, it rivals the legendary archdemon Dumat in its fury. I pray the legends of another archdemon leading the Blight and the Anderfells are just foolish stories. But if they are true, then I understand why Emperor Draken asked me to come here. Draken's new Orle cannot face two god dragons at once. Talana was injured in the last battle. She says she can still fight, but she's limping badly, even after our healing magics. Once we are warm again, I will send her back to the surface. The spell that will seal away the dragon offers little chance for escape, and in her current state, she cannot hope to outrun the magic. With luck, she will reach Orena and Heron, and they can get back to civilization and bring reinforcements. I can feel my fingers again. It's time to go. So this is pretty much the last codex we get from Inquisitor Emeritus, and it's from his journal. And so... Based on the codex entry, you can see that Ameridan thought it best to send Talana back as she had been injured, and as he planned for his final spell to be a very powerful one that would seal Hakan inside the fortress forever. He waited as long as he could for Talana, but Ameridan then bound himself to Hakan for eternity, um, or at least until the second Inquisitor comes along. Do you have thoughts about the codex entry? Other than it's interesting that, like, again, we get this god dragon, and to Meriden, it's like, oh, well, we can't have two god dragons. But he doesn't even think about, I don't even think about connecting Hacken to the Blights at all. Mm -hmm. um, but he's not really, and he doesn't behave like an archdemon either. No, he doesn't. And the way Avar treat their spirits is totally different from the rest of Thetis anyway. But I think this is interesting because it, it really illustrates to me like a lot about Ameridan's character and about who Talana is. Like Ameridan is in this fight because Emperor Draken asked him to be right. Like, because they were friends, they were acquaintances, and he's working for the for the goodness, for the survival of Thetis and the new Orle. But we also see that he has these companions that he loves and is friends with and is so dedicated to. And he bears the sacrifice of being bound to Hacken for, you know, all eternity in hope that his companions can get away. And I think that that illustrates a lot about who he is and about who, about who his companions are too, because like, they don't want to leave. Talana is like, no, like, I don't, I don't want to go. She says she can still fight. Um, but Ameridan sends them away. And I think that that does illustrate a lot about who they all are. I am reminded of, in Mass Effect 3, when you're making the run to the beam and Shepard calls on Normandy to send his companions mm. away. And you do have a special, like, scene if your love interest is with you. Um, but I, that's what I think of. Like, yeah. similar characters. Yeah, very, very similar. So, um, in, in the rest of the game, the Inquisitor discovers that Talana, she did escape from the forest and she ended up on a nearby island and she basically like went to sleep as a dreamer in an attempt to see Ameridan again 
through her dreams, but unfortunately she couldn't find him because he was, you know, bound to this dragon. Uh, and she dies of her injuries. They're just too, they're too much for her to, to overcome. And so in death, she obviously attracts the attention of tons of spirits and even demons, I'm sure, some of which identified with her so strongly that they preserved not just her belongings, but her memories as well. And I think we see that on this island, all of the people, even the Avar, are like, yeah, we don't go there. Like, we don't mess with that. Mm-mm, no, no, I'm good. And and even for, for a peoples who respect magic and spirits so much more than whoever else in Thetis, even they are saying, no, this is too much for me. So that's really significant, number one. Um, but also, this is also the area where we see those three despair demons that you mentioned earlier in a few few episodes ago. Um, so you know that this is a place of great despair. Like this is a hard, sad place. And I would be brokenhearted if I was Talana, you know? Yeah, definitely. I have a lot of thoughts about her, but we need to save it to the end. Okay, I just have a couple more things. So when the Inquisitor meets a Meriden, you can either tell him Talana's true fate, or you can lie to him and say that she escaped and went on to live happily ever after, which I never do. Like, it does him better to just know the truth. Just, it's fine. And then... um, we also know that Talana was unfortunately erased by the Chantry, as was Ameriden too. Um, Ameriden's race as an elf was also, like I said, erased erased by the Chantry. And there are there's a codex in game that kind of mentions something about Ameriden's elf mage lover uh, or lady elf lover or something like that. Or no, it's lady mage lover and it's basically like a gossip thing where um, it's written by an academic in Thetis and they're just basically like all of these rumors that he, he was a mage and that, that a Meriden had a lady mage lover. All of those are false. We don't know any of that. And it's like, well, that was the truth. So, <laughs> but that's very typical of the Chantry, I feel. Right. And that brings me into my, my main takeaway from Talana's story is that once again we are reminded that the chantry and orlay's power is built on the backs of the dalish at Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and at some point they decided that the dalish were not their friends anymore and they do the exalted marches on the dales and they basically erase the dalish from chantry history and like i a hundred percent believe that that would be andraste's biggest gripe if she came back and saw the chantry today i think that she would look at mage treatment and say like you should be nicer but you know i did live as a taventer slave so i get it and but I think that she would come back and be like, these people were our friends. We wouldn't exist without them. Shartan was my friend and this is how you treat his people. I think she'd burn down all of Orlais. I agree. For that. I 100% agree. And not just like, not just Shartan was her friend. He and his army of, of freed slaves, they are the reason that they won the war against Taventer. They are the reason 
why Orlay exists, why Ferelden exists, why the free marches exist, and and Tevinter doesn't just rule over everything. I absolutely think she would be furious, burn it all to the ground, and not only just because you know they helped to them, whatever, but because she promised Shartan that they, that he and his people would have the Dales as their new homeland. And now they don't have it anymore. I think she would be appalled that this group of people that say they worship me, that uphold me as a religious figure, a, a hero, almost a God, they broke my promise. How can they say they worship me when they broke my promise? Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why Liliana, you can't just say there's one divine that's great for Thetis, the best for all Thetis, but like her including not only the Canticle of Chartan back into canon, but allowing the elves to participate in the priesthood of the Chantry is a big step to that kind of restorative justice. It's, I think it's the Chantry's greatest sin. It is so messed up. Like, it is just supremely um, appalling, to be honest. But, I mean, if, if, if we are going to go back to the Chantry is Catholicism metaphor, look at the medieval popes. Look at the popes from the Renaissance era. Like, they were not good people. They did horrible, horrific things. So, I mean, I don't think that's unique to Catholicism, I should say. I think every organized religion has people in it who want to manipulate and gain power. I think that that's not even just every organized religion, every human institution, because I think that that's what people do. But I really think there's a reckoning coming, like... For Thetis and the elves, the relationship between the el- the elven and the rest of Thetis. Well, um, Solus is there. I don't think he's helping that at all any. In no. fact, I think he wants to burn it all down, as he has told us multiple times. So... Yeah, I agree. There is a reckoning coming. I just don't know how involved the Chantry will be as a player. Yeah, I want to help the elves. I don't want to support Solus. So I guess no, I'm that's just, fair. I get that. Just gonna have to swallow the bittersweet pill, probably. It depends. We'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I think I really got sad. The whole Inquisitor Emeritus story and like with Talana just makes me sad. And like the more I learn about spirits and the more I look about that island in the Frostback Basin, it just breaks my heart. Like the amount of despair that exists there and like not just despair, but like longing, like the despair of longing and want is so strong there. I bet it would be overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's all I have about Talana, unless you have anything to say about her or anything else we've talked about today. No, not really. Uh, that's all I got. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. 
If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.